so grateful and thankful to turn within, so grateful that God is our true reality. So grateful and thankful that our life truly is the life of God now and forevermore. And that this is true, not just for us, but for every being on this earth, whether they're recovering from some kind of threat or they're currently threatened, whatever their state of being is, we're all one in the love of God. And what I claim and know for each one of us is this field of love in which we live and move, in which we dwell, in which we have our very being, that is our very nature. It, it's one power, one presence, one life that unites us all. We're all part of it like drops of water in the ocean completely connected always at all times to an infinite source of good. So grateful and so thankful that we can affirm this now and to remember and recognize our true identity in the love of God as the love of God. And so we come together to have a divine dialogue for this purpose. So grateful and so thankful to open ourselves to the unprecedented. So grateful and so thankful to consciously attune to the perfect love and to celebrate that with our dialogue. It's a healing conversation. It's nurturing and nourishing to our spirit. It is absolutely a healing balm, inspiring and uplifting. And we share those benefits with all beings. We're grateful to allow the healing to be, and so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. Our prayers are so powerful and valuable. And even though there's a fire going on, we can still work with the violet flame. It helps to, in my experience, it helps to quell an actual <clears throat> physical fire. Yeah. So, one thing I'd like to share is I, and I know I've said this a number of times, but I'm just going to say it again since many of you have been involved in the circles and will be involved in the mastery circles next year, that when you're praying in for a community call or a circle, just like I did for the class, we're blessing the class. We're blessing what occurs in the class, knowing that it's healing, it's expansive, it's helpful, and that it is potent, it's powerful, these are the things that we're knowing, and it's not a long, long prayer. It's a, a concise prayer to bless the conversation and to seal the conversation in this uh, intention of healing, expansion, clarity. And um, what I can do about this here. Why didn't I have a thought? Uh, and um, because sometimes there's a tendency to bless all our families 
and to bless all kinds of things. It's really, you can do that if you like, but that's a different thing than an opening uh, blessing for the time that we're together. Stay focused on that. And then when you're closing out a circle, you're blessing people going forward. It's different than it might be if you were going to pray with someone about their life, an individual about their life or their family or a couple or something like that. And Liz knows an awful lot about uh, praying for the start of an event. Liz, would you say anything else about that? I'm going to go see if I can just do something about this, this light here for a second. Yeah. <clears throat> um, one thing I do want to share is that uh, um, when we do our closing prayer, we do a full-blown spiritual mind treatment uh, for everybody in the circle. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, um, and I can I can tell that mm -hmm. they uh, they you can f actually feel their energy start to vibrate even through the Zoom. You can start feeling that to vibrate. Um, as soon as you say their name, like we'll say their name and then, you know, bless what's, what their prayer request is. So everyone, we close out, everyone does a prayer request and then either Tammy, who's my partner or my, myself, we do spiritual mind treatment and uh, speak the word for each individual in that circle. And you can just feel something shift as soon as they hear their name spoken out loud. Um, I think that's a dynamic part of prayers when you speak the person's name something right there shifts something right there opens it goes oh yeah this is for me this oh yeah all right i'm covered um my back's covered great i feel like i feel like i can go ah um so what else was i supposed to say no that's good sheila's asking what is a spiritual mind treatment it's what we're doing we just don't call it a spiritual mind treatment. That's what our prayers are. That's what Ernest Holmes calls it. And um, that's where Jennifer and I got our initial training. Um, or at least me. I, maybe you were already in Course of Miracles before Agape. No. Right, so we got our initial training there. And um, if you haven't read any Ernest Holmes, I really, really encourage it. I just love uh, the Science of Mind book. But that's what he calls a prayer. When he prays for someone as a practitioner, he calls it a spiritual mind treatment because all prayer is in the mind. And, um, uh, that's the way I was trained, and I, I, it, it really is a scientific system that flows for me and works well for me. And I do also encourage everyone to find what really flows for them. It might be something different, and that's great. But because what spirit speaks to us all differently, so however spirit speaks to you in prayer, the thing is just let it rip, let it rip, just let the feeling tone take over. I like that that um, really definite structure of a spiritual mind treatment, which is recognition, unification, realization, thanksgiving, and release. Those are the five steps of a spiritual mind treatment. And I'm done. Thank you. Can you repeat those five steps? Yes. Recognition. You're recognizing God. God is. Unification. You are one with that God. I am. God is. I am. Realization. You are realizing 
what you're praying for, the qualities of God that you want to be experiencing or that you're, the, whoever you're praying for, you're realizing the truth right there. Thanksgiving, being grateful for the answered prayer. And then release. You release the word into the law, knowing that law takes action on it and it is done. Thank you. So the prayer that I teach, the God's Prayer, it includes all those stages. Uh, the difference is, is our prayer shares the benefits with everyone. You know, it's, that's part of the unification. It's recognizing that I'm one with everyone, so my prayer benefits everyone. Uh, what Ernest Holmes taught was to say, uh, I'm one with God. I'm one with God. And so what I teach, it really comes more from the energetic of, I already know I'm one with God. So what's more helpful to me is to say, I'm one with everyone. Because my mind is the mind of God. And so that's why I do it that way. And uh, I don't have a stage for releasing the word to the action of the law. Um, instead, I have... Uh, it, you know, the last one is um, to share, and uh, I, we always give thanks, but it's, I don't have it as one of the letters. Um, with the science of mind treatment, um, it's uh, uh, the acronym is not a word. So recognition, unification, realization, Thanksgiving and uh, release, you know, R-U-R-T-R. And so just it's harder for people to remember. And also just having it be five stages made it harder for people to remember. And so, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I was in class with that were like, because uh, we would say uh, an opening blessing is um, uh, uh recognition, the unification, the blessing, uh, and then um, amen. Is that right? Ruba and Ruta? Liz? Yeah. And then the closing prayer. And I just feel, felt like it was too complicated. But you know what? Um, it, I also feel it's unnecessary because Ernest Holmes came up with his formula for a science of mind treatment, uh, somewhat based, I'm, I'm sure, in the Christian science methodology. So um, remember that the history of new thought, just to give you a little refresher here, um, that you had, um, energetically, you had people like Swedenborg in Europe and then you had Phineas Quimby. Remember, we looked at the Quimby manuscripts. You had fin Phineas Quimby, who was uh, who became a self-taught healer, working in uh, invisible, working in the field of consciousness, the field of the mind, the egoic mind, and the divine mind. You know, working with those two, uh, and then. Uh, He, uh, I was just hearing a little noise. I wasn't sure what that was. Um, 
he, uh, one of his patients, because he became someone people went to for healing, one of his patients was Mary Baker Eddy. And she founded Christian Science, which became huge. And it's so important to remember this, the time of it. So uh, Quimby started, you know, doing what he was doing in the late 1850s, early 1860s, which was around the time that Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, was writing and became very popular. It's when the Transcendentalists, Henry David Thoreau, and that whole group were emerging. And and uh, does anybody know much about the Transcendentalists? Anybody have any expertise about the Transcendentalists? Yeah, Lawrence, you, would you like to talk about the Transcendentalists at all and, and tell people? Much about the transcendentals. Well, not enough to really talk about it. Oh, okay. Uh, so the transcendentalists were in New England, principally um, <coughs> Massachusetts, around the Boston area, and um, they were a philosophical movement that recognized nature, and it recognized the. Um, honoring all beings, the civil rights of individuals. And Henry David Thoreau wrote uh, On Walden Pond, you might remember. And um, a lot of, at least in New England, a lot of kids have to read On, on Golden Pond in and, and high school or college. And um, he also wrote a treatise that was uh, hugely famous at the time and over the years about civil disobedience. Um, the, I'm just not sure. But I'm going to mute you folks out just because I am hearing random no noises here. Um, he, he wrote um, this piece on civil disobedience, which was really about if, if uh, your government is engaging in a war that you feel is immoral, can you, as an act of civil disobedience, legally say, I'm not going to participate in that? Or things like, I'm not gonna let my tax dollars support that because I don't believe in it. It's against my values, my morals. And do, do people have a right to do that? So he wrote very, very eloquently about these things. And he also, one of the things he did was he had this cabin uh, on Walden Pond in Massachusetts, or was it New Hampshire? I don't remember. It might have been New Hampshire. Um, and he retreated there for a year. And he his book on, Go on Walden Pond uh, or Walden Pond, he um, wrote about his experience of really commuting with nature, really being like a city person who went to live in nature and to uh, find the, the spiritual nature in the, in the woods and the water and the birds and the animals. And so um, the transcendentalists were about transcending um, politics and religion and people's opinions 
and really uh, beginning to really look at the 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 world as a, a unified field of humanity and uh, nature that nature and humanity work separate from God. We get really beginning to look at that. So this is the time when Quimby uh, went to that lecture of Charles Mesmer's students, Charles Mesmer, who founded Mesmerism, uh, who was French, and his students were touring around the United States and giving lectures um, as entertainment, as, you know, as, um, and people back then, you know, there's no television, there's no radio. So people frequently went to lectures and public talks to, to learn about things as entertainment and education and things like that. So um, that was the time in which Quimby uh, uh, came uh, to discover uh, what he learned through his own experiments right, with Lucius, and uh, then he gave a few lectures, mostly he just worked with his clients, his patients, and um, he, you have to remember that Ralph Waldo Emerson was one of the most famous people in the United States in the 1860s, and Quimby was even better known than him. Because he could heal people without medicine, without touching them, without seeing them. It was amazing and miraculous. And um, it's always been extraordinary to me that uh, something happened. And I don't know what it is because I'm not a historian. But I think it would be fascinating to research. Something had to have happened that everyone on this planet doesn't know who Phineas Q. Quimby is. You know, but, and it may have to do with Mary Baker Eddy. I don't know. She was his student. She had an amazing healing. She uh, was so excited by what she learned from Quimby about mind over matter that she wrote uh, her famous book, uh, Mind and Matter, and um, founded the Christian Science Church. But you see, the Christian Science Church, actually, uh, one of the things it did was it, it banned the, in a sense, it told us your, the congregants made this, they made this decision that not to go to a doctor, no matter what, you know, when people get frightened and things like that, they, they need comforting. They go to a doctor, they try everything, you know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll rub that thing on my chest, but I also would like to take a pill and yeah, I'm willing to, you know, put leeches all over my body but I'd also like to see are there are other things we can do. Cause my grandmother said that if I, you know, drank hot tea with lemon, you know, that could, whatever, you know, people, when you're really sick and you're debilitated, you you want to try many things. And what Mary Baker Eddy was teaching people is all healings at the level of the mind. You've got to get rid of all that nonsense and really go for the healing at the level of the mind. I remember talking with um, Nook Sanchez. Anybody know who Nook is? She's a Course in Miracles teacher from the United States, and she uh, she did Living a Course in Miracles in the fall of 2014, I think. 
and then she did a, an episode of my radio show then too, maybe September of 2014. And I remember her talking about it in the radio show. She, um, she had um, osteoporosis, as I recall, really, really bad osteoporosis. Anybody not know what that is? So she had it and she was in a great deal of pain and she decided to really do all her healing work at the level of the mind and give it all to the Holy Spirit for healing. But she had an amazing, miraculous healing of osteoporosis. But she also went through a, a couple of years of a dark night of the soul when her husband died. And um, she was really down for the count when her husband died. So, but you know, it, it's, it's like with Sheila and the floods, Elena with her daughter, you know, Lawrence with Rick, Brand with your body. Everybody's got their stuff, right? Each one has their own particular curriculum that essentially kicks their ass you know it kicks your mental ass this is something i never said before but um you know it just really it so works with your mind that the opportunity to heal at the level of the mind is there and you can run from it or you can take it and usually most of us do some combo right? Maybe we get down for the count, we're in the mud, or we're in denial, wherever we are, and then we come to a point where we go, enough. Now, I'm going to really work at the level of the mind. And of course, as you've heard me say so many times, we still fall down every day, right? Every day we fall down many, many, many times, maybe where we go into judgment, we go into fear, we go into doubt, we go into worry, we go into complaint, we go into regret or resentment or whatever it is. But then we do that U-turn. We realize, no, back to the Holy Spirit I go. And so, um, so that's what Mary Baker Eddy was really advocating people for. Just like, just go for it, people. Um, and so she built a huge organization, huge organization, uh, around the world. Um, but then I, 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 I would guess, but I don't know. It's just a guess that with the rise of the pharmaceutical industry and the American medical association and modern medicine, as we know it in the United States, they crushed that. They crushed it in some way, shape, or form. I would just guess and, and bet. I think it would be fascinating to do the research. Because imagine that you're teaching people, because Mary Baker Eddy experienced extraordinary miraculous healings just like Phineas Quimby did. Amazing, miraculous. I'm trying to think of, I think there was one where it was her or somebody else developed some kind of a huge lesion on their face that cleared up um, uh, just overnight or something. I can't remember now. But some really amazing demonstrations. 
and um, but this nobody, hardly anybody knows a Christian scientist anymore. It's all but disappeared. But see, what happened too was uh, Mary Baker Eddy. She her her best student was Emma Curtis Hopkins, and um, who was extremely devoted. And something happened between the two of them that no one knows what it is. No one has ever been able to uh, determine what it was that transpired between them. But something happened and Mary Baker Eddy basically uh, disowned Emma Curtis Hopkins and, and, and banned her from the church. So Emma went off and did her own thing. She wrote some beautiful books on healing and mysticism. She was a true mystic, a true mystic, uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins. And um, people that started working with her were Charles Myrtle Fillmore. Well, I said Mildred, didn't I, at the church on the other day? Oh, well. Uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore and um, Ernest Holmes and then uh, some other people. Ernest Holmes went on to find, found Science of Mind, which then became the Church of Religious Science and Religious Science. And now it's the Centers for Spiritual Living. And um, the Fillmores started the Unity Church. So Ernest Holmes was a very young man. He was, Liz, do you remember, was he like 18, 19, 20 when he started to study with Emma? I don't remember. And, um, but very, very young man. And the Fillmores were older and Myrtle was very sick. And she went to a, they went to a lecture of Emma about healing and they started to study with her and then they went on to start the unity church you know which is a huge organization unity is the organization that supports my radio show they co-produce my radio show it's on their network so um so ernest holmes said when he was lecturing he, he lectured to, uh, in in uh LA that was his home base was LA and he um, he had a, a huge following in Los Angeles a lot of celebrities Judy Garland all kinds of celebrities would go and listen to Ernest Holmes and um, he what he taught was uh, he, said he didn't want to have churches, no churches, no churches. And um, he said he just wanted to uh, train practitioners, practitioners of prayer, who could do what he called the science of mind treatment, um, which is the kind of prayer that we do. It's about having a realization. It's about recognizing your mind is the mind of God and you're not separate. It's about being grateful. It's about uh, really realizing that all healing is at the level of the mind. So he was only interested in training practitioners who could do that work and work with clients and teach about it. 
And he said, no churches, because once you get into churches, then you get into ego and all kinds of things. And so um, as soon as he died, they said, good, now we can have churches. So, <laughs> and then they did, they started all these churches. And then uh, the board of directors of the original church, uh, they were split between those who wanted to focus on having Sunday services and those who wanted to focus on educating. And so they became two organizations, um, the um, uh, Church of Religious Science and then just Religious Science. So that, that's a little history there. So that, that Science of Mind treatment came out of the Christian Science treatment, the mind treatment that Christian scientists practiced, the Emma Hurtick Curtis Hopkins, uh, that um, Mary Baker Eddy developed based on the teachings of Quimby, her personal studies in person with Quimby. She developed that treatment, that method of treatment, uh, that method of prayer, and then Ernest Holmes called it science of mind treatment. And a lot of people just call it affirmative prayer, affirmative prayer. For me, the history of New Thought is very, very interesting because it's about the growth of consciousness, you know, the expansion of the human race consciousness. Um, and of course, we have to also remember and recognize that, you know, in India, they already knew all this in Tibet, you know, in the Far East, the Far East masters, they already knew all this and beyond, far beyond this. You know, in the Far East, people are living to be four, five, six hundred years old. In fact, um, next year, I'm, I'm thinking that we might read some, do some work with the Far East masters. And uh, the teachings of Jesus and Buddha. I love that material. It's so expansive. And um, and I'm thinking that also next year in year two, we're going to read some Ernest Holmes. So you can all join in on that, of course. Yeah, year two, I think next year we're going to look at some um, David Hawkins and his teachings, his teachings uh, that incorporate A Course in Miracles and, um, and uh, some of the science of mind teachings of Ernest Holmes and um, uh, and looking at the Far East masters in uh, Ascension Pathway along with doing individual projects. So let's see if there's any questions about any of that so far, anything or comments. Rand, here I can unmute you, hopefully. Maybe not. I don't know why it works sometimes and not others. There we go. We're unmuted. Can you just tell me who some of those Far East masters that you're thinking about, names wise? Okay. No, because they're not names that anybody knows. Got it. Okay. I guess we'll wait and see what comes. Yeah, I mean, they're names of Tibetans that you, you wouldn't know. 
Okay. But I, I can tell you the books. And what I'll do is I'll give you the links. All right. I'll give you the links. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, they're just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let that suffice for now. But, um, you know, in a very real sense, of course, Buddha, Buddha is one of the Far East masters. Um, but um, there are Tibetans and, and, and Indians and people like that uh, from Burma and the Far East and, um, um, and Jesus, of course, you know, he studied, he traveled so much in the Far East. I was drinking beer already. Never too early for a beer for Carla. <laughs> Get your vitamin B. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts or questions? All right, then. So what I'd like to uh, talk about today is looking towards the next year, because we have one class left next week, and then we're done for this year. Yeah, and remember, my New Year's Reboot class is, is at 2 o'clock Eastern, no, 2 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Central. Is it online or only in person? It's on Zoom. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a bonus class for everyone in Masterful Living. Hang on a second. I just remembered I got to send a note. Um, and Jennifer, I just wanted to, I, I couldn't unmute myself or get myself going I was frozen but I do have a question for you um, you know because especially I, I still teach teens and I teach them spiritual mind treatment and um, before you got into your first classes at Agape um, or any other spiritual classes were you already aware that you were one with God did you already have that understanding I'm just trying to think back Yeah, intellectually, definitely. Yeah, because here's the thing, Liz. So the most, after the Fillmores, and I don't remember what when they passed away. Ernest Holmes passed away in the 60s, but he was younger than the Fillmores. Um, but uh, I started going to Unity Church services in uh, 1980. late 86, something like that. And um, in Manhattan, and um, the minister was Eric Butterworth. Oh. And Eric Butterworth is the most famous, well-known unity minister since the founders. 
the Fillmore's. So that I, I, what happened for me was um, in 85, um, it was just like a year or two before the harmonic convergence. And a lot of people started to wake up then. And one of the main things that woke a lot of people up was Shirley MacLaine's book, Out on a Limb. And my mother read that book and she gave it to me and said, you might like this book. And um, that was the first spiritual book I ever read, really. I mean, hmm. my mom had some Edgar Casey books and she had some books about out-of-body stuff or past life stuff on the shelf. And I would pull that stuff off and read it. It was just like one of the things that drawn, were, I was drawn to in my mother's library. She was a voracious reader. She would read a book a day. She was so, she's such a fast reader. She loved to read. She didn't really like watch television. She liked to read. So um, um, I read Out on a Limb, probably late 85. And then in 86, right around that time, late 85, early six, right around that time, I started a spiritual book group. And we started to go to, we were like, whoa, let's, we, let's, what can we do? We want to go find other resources. So we started going to Eric Butterworth's services at Lincoln Center. And then we'd go out to brunch and talk about the books we were reading. I, I started this group. I, you know, I'm a group starter. What can I tell you? So, because um, there was no fellowship with Eric Butterworth's group. They just, you know, it was 1,500 people every Sunday at Lincoln Center and You'd come in and then you'd go back home and that was it. There was no, there were some classes, but it was not a big deal. It was, uh, they hardly talked about it, it seemed like. And um, um, and then I went to Peru. I went to, uh, I went to on a three week trip to Peru with two friends of mine. And we spent a week climbing uh, from, to, to Machu Picchu along the Incan Trail. So that was in 80, I can't remember now, it was 85, 86, right along that time. Anyway, um, and I had uh, some really powerful awakening experiences. Um, and one of them was in Peru. And that was really, it was life-changing for me. Quite life-changing for me. Um, and so uh, with the teachings of Eric Butterworth and the unity teachings, you know, they taught the unity of all life. They're called unity. So I had been studying that for a good 10 years before I went into classes at Agape. But, you know, it's one thing to study it and say, I know that. And it's a whole other thing to actually live it and embody it. A absolutely. And um, going back to prayer, the reason the unity stage is so important for me, and you say, I know I'm one with God, and I do now, too. But as a beginning student, because Agape was the first classes of anything that I took, um, and, uh, you know, recovering Christian. So um, that idea of I was one with God was so foreign to me. <clears throat> and it really, I kind of feel like 
Um, I embodied it somewhere along my training intellectually, but I have not actually embodied it in my being until, you know, maybe the last three or four or five years. Um, prior to that, even though I would always say, I know I'm one with God, I'm one with God, and I do believe that the answered prayer comes from the oneness, um, I just wasn't really buying it. It was a foreign concept. And so, like, for teens or, or, or beginning, beginners on a spiritual path, that's why I like that idea of the unification stage because that was so hard for me to get. That was, that was the hardest thing for me to get. And, and you're more of a mystic. And I think those, any of you here, those of you who are more of a mystic, um, I think you get that in your entire being really quickly. Um, this Torian, earthy, everything is physical gal that I am, that was a really challenging embodiment that I do feel that I have now. That's my share. Yeah, yeah, that's why to me, having that stage of sharing the benefits with everyone because I'm one with them is so helpful to me. It's, um, and I, I, I know no one in New Thought who really uses those, that language. Um, I've actually, I actually uh, have included that phrase in my spiritual mind treatment. I still like to go through the unity thing, but, but I do end my treatments now with that phrase because I do agree with you. We, we want to keep in our consciousness at all times. There's one thing going on. Right. Right. <coughs> yeah, and the whole foundation of A Course in Miracles, most of the people, one sec, Deb, one, most of the people in our group are either Course in Miracles or some kind of new thought. They tend to be... Um, the idea of being one with God, while still maybe not fully believed, uh, it's an, a concept that they're familiar with. And for me, if like I, not not saying you shouldn't do what you do, um, I I find the most the way that we demonstrate we know we're one with God is what Jesus taught when he said, what you do to the least of them, you do to me. That's his teaching on oneness. You know, he had, to me, he had two really clear teachings on oneness and unification. It was father and I are one, but not meaning that, but not you people, just us. You know, he, he was, cause it was so radical for him to say that at the time that i'm one with god what people were like oh brother's got a problem he's got a big head you know and all the pharisees were like how dare you that's such hubris um so uh deb I'd like to hear you speak more on that embodying aspect and how that shows up. Um, I guess I'm thinking of it in the sense of chakras, but, you know, go wherever. Yeah, um, it's, to me, when we're embodying, embodying a spiritual truth, we're making our choices from it. We're living our life that way. Where, where our behavior is aligned with that spiritual truth. So how I'm going to behave in my body if I know that I'm one with God and one with everyone 
It's going to be different from how I behave in my body if I think I'm separate. So let's let's just see. Like, can you recognize? Everyone can open and answer this. Can you recognize? Like for you, we could start, Liz, since you brought it up. What are the ways that you feel like you embody that teaching? Wow, you know, on uh, in many ways, it's very challenging to articulate because it is a feeling tone. Um, it is a physical sense of a vibration that is all around me and in me, as well as a, an amazing feeling of bliss. Just this amazing bliss that is unearthly. And when I feel that, which, you know, through my practicing increasing over this last year, um, I feel that more and more. And I, I, I just, I am embodied the, the Christ consciousness in this moment. And I wish it was, you know, 24-7, but it ain't. But I do feel that embodiment, and it is a physical a feeling, but it's definitely an um, emotional, overwhelming bliss. To me, it's also that thing that it says in A Course in Miracles about who are God's teachers? It's anyone who for at, at any point saw their, someone else's needs as not separate from their own. Someone else's being as not separate from their own. Someone else as not being separate from themselves. That that's what uh, is the key thing to a uh, being a teacher of God is that you have an awareness that you're not separate from your brother or sister. And that to me is part of the embodiment. You know, to me also, it's uh, part of the embodiment is recognizing that all of life is precious. So that's one of the things I have seen in myself as I am more and more clear in my mind that I treat my body with more preciousness. Because I used to really be, in many ways, so abusive to my body with overeating, with, uh, you know, there was a period where I was, when I was in my 20s, where I was kind of bulimic. Well, not kind of, I was bulimic. And um, times when I would drink too much, smoke too much, eat too much, exercise too much, all those different things. Work too much, burn up my adrenals, you know, and all, none of that was embodying the unity of all life or an awareness of the unity of all life. Because the unit, understanding or really knowing the unity of all life, it, you realize that every thought you're thinking, you're sharing with everyone because you're one with them. That there's no private thought ever that you cannot think ill of yourself or anyone else and have it not be part of what everyone is participating in. It's just like if you're swimming in a pool and you're peeing in the pool, everybody's swimming in your pee. 
tell you, I'll tell you an act of love when I took my nephew to Legoland, right? We stayed at the Legoland Beach Resort, which had this big pool that had, you know, 110 year olds in it. And um, my nephew was like, you're gonna go swimming with me, right? You're gonna go swimming with me, right? And I was like, yes. Of course I'm going to go swimming with you. I can think of nothing else I'd like better than to swim in the pool with the kids and their pee. I love him. So I requalified every drop of that pool of water. Just knew it was of the highest vibration. Yep. You can change your mind about anything. It is a Chinese medicine treatment sometimes to drink that. So, you know, you got a treatment. Drink other people's pee? I don't know if it's others or your own, but I have heard that. I know. It it definitely is a medicine. I'll tell you, I mean, I I don't want to get sidetracked, but I will say this, that it is, you can probably explain this way better than me, Deb, but if, if anybody knows anything about homeopathy and that kind of thing, um, it is medicinal to pee in your bath water. It is medicinal to pee in your bath water. Be, and do, can you explain why, Deb? I mean, I can take a stab at it, but... I can explain homeopathy, but it's diluting a substance so that you get the vibrational essence of it for healing without getting other things. I mean, arsenic is an example. There are homeopathic arsenic remedies. You don't, you don't die from taking it because you're just getting the essence of it, nothing in the physical realm. Yeah, you're just getting the vibration of it. Yeah. It's vibrational medicine. Well, the peeing in the bathwater is your your body is constantly doing everything it can to heal itself and to maintain itself at the highest levels, you know, uh, and to take into consideration uh, compensating for everything you're eating that's unhealthy and vice versa. So um, your pee, your urine contains, um, in a sense, nutritional value that uh, your body is eliminating uh, along with toxicity and so it um, and you know anything you put on your skin is is in your bloodstream in seconds six seven eight seconds it's in your bloodstream it's on its way to your heart very quickly so anything you put you know nail polish remover whatever you put on your skin right there it's going right to your heart right away six seconds so um yeah so for that, those reasons, that's why being in your bathwater is actually uh, healthy for you. And it's a definite cure for, um, what do you call it? That fungus on your feet, athlete's foot, peeing on your feet. Oh, I get all kinds of tips. <laughs> the so, nurse in me is like, deuces, I'm out of here. <laughs> 
Well, that makes sense, though, because most of our urine is so acidic because of our diet, and acid kills things, right? Vinegar kills things. Yeah. Things kill things, so. Um, So we, we digress. We're talking about embodying God. And now I've got us all talking about um, uh, but you don't want to pee in a hot tub, it says here. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Um, I don't know. Might be something for you to look up there, Sheila. And you can do a little research and give us all the the medicinal benefits of it. All I know is that when you're scuba diving and you get in some jellyfish or some stinging fish, you are begging someone for it. That's why you don't ever go without jellyfish sting medicine. (laughs) You're begging someone to pee on you as a... All right, let's not go down that road. That's a whole different thing. Oh, good Lord. All right. So what I would like to see if we could uh, talk about for the rest of our time, changing the channel here, is um, what... How many of you have now had your uh, activation sessions? Just you three, huh? Have you signed up for yours? Was that posted or how do we, uh, somehow I missed it other than hear you talk about it a couple of times. Has anybody signed up for one? You haven't gotten emails to sign up for them? I don't think so. I'll text uh, Linda. Um, um, Linda's. Oh, by the way, we're we're holding Linda and her husband in prayer. He's having tests run at the hospital today about his heart. Yeah, with Alana and I doing the spiritual counseling, that's probably how we got ours done already. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because we received an email invitation, but only in spiritual counseling, at least, yeah. Right. So, um, well, at, at any rate, either way, uh, I am... We're, next year, we're going to be working on uh, projects like Divine Experiments. And my invitation to you, and this is part of the activation process, and you can do this whether you're continuing on or not. There's no, I'd like everybody to, to do one who's in Masterful Living this year. Uh, that your activation session is to identify a challenge Uh, in your life that you are ready and willing to eliminate, even though you don't know how, that you're willing to open your mind to the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting, that you're willing to fully engage with God 
even if you're you're hesitant you're you're willing and uh and then we're going to work with that uh each person and we're going to monitor our progress and we are really going to hold it tight so that uh hopefully before too long everybody will have eliminated that challenge and certainly by the end of the year next year so that's um, and I wonder for those of you, so some of you already, you, we've got, uh, you know, a bunch of people that are in the counseling program. So you've had your activation sessions, you've identified your challenge and you don't have to work on that one in next year's class that you can pick a different one if you like, but that's the idea is to really focus in and we are, we're going to experience true miracles in our life and so um would anybody who's done an activation session like to go first and say what is the uh challenge that you're choosing to work on in this coming year maybe you're already working on it what is the challenge that you'd like to eliminate from your life experience Anybody willing to share about that? Lena. Um, yeah, I finally, I remember now the challenge last time. So the challenge is the belief that something is wrong with me. Very deep belief. And so it's just affecting all areas of my life. Good this is a challenge. Yeah. Good for you. So important for you as a spiritual counselor to eliminate the idea that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, because hold it for someone else. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So what, what do you see as the benefits to eliminating that, that you're most interested in? What are the benefits that most interest you that came actually in this activation session very clearly it is really living the life the way i am so in all areas of my life uh, not running from here i like it here this area i don't like it but it's like this feeling of um peace and joy permeating just all of the areas of my life, including career. Actually, this came very strongly because it's there where I withdraw myself the most because of this belief, something is wrong with me. So what I teach cannot be right. How can it? If there's, you know, so this is, and the benefits is this joy and peace simply in, in all over in my life. Yes, beautiful. That's powerful. Thank you, Elena. You're welcome. Who else? Sheila? I think I'm the only other one, but I've already spoken about mine, Jennifer. What came out during my activation session is I have, have a belief that there is a price to pay for awakening. And what's challenging for me is that I have a fear that I am 
such a good manifester. I think I'm afraid of it. And it blocks my receiving and it blocks me moving forward. So my goal is to start unblocking all the areas of receiving that I block and to be an open receiver, but to release the fear that it's okay. Because <laughs> our minds are so powerful. And I think there's just a little bit of fear around that. If you really let go, woo, we could shatter some ceilings unbelievably. And that was something I'd like to work on for the new year. So uh, I love that. And so can you share with us a little bit about the fear of manifesting? Intellectually, it's because I don't understand how I do it. But I've demonstrated it over and over that I'm good at it. I just don't know how. So I think I have a little bit of a fear that I don't know how I'm doing it and things happen. (laughs) It's a control issue. Mm-hmm. And I think also there's a fear that um, I won't like the highest and best. That it's not really what I would like, <laughs> even though it's the highest and best. So I go along like, all right, if it's the highest and best, I'll do it. Because I really do want to awaken. But maybe it's not something that I would have chosen. So that's where the fear is, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I think this is really valuable for us to talk about a little bit uh, because we've talked so much about what Elena's talking about, uh, but this is something we haven't talked as much about. And... um, and that is that, uh, you know, the quote from Marianne Williamson that Nelson Mandela used in his, his uh, inauguration speech where he talked about, it's not our darkness that frightens us, it's our light. So, and in A Course in Miracles, in uh, chapter two, I believe it's section six on cause and effect. It's right after the fear and conflict section. In there, in the cause and effect section, one of the things that he talks about is exactly this, this fear of manifestation. But you might not recognize it because this is what he talks about. He says that, um, I'm just thinking about, should I get out my book? Uh, he talks about how it terrifies us that every thought produces form at some level, that there are no idle thoughts. And those are the quotes from chapter two section. I can't remember. It's five fear and conflict is section five. But in fear and conflict, that's where he says, all thought produces form at some level. He also says there, there are no idle thoughts. He also says there that uh, it's hard to believe that our thought 
combined with our belief is a power that can literally move mountains. He said, it's hard to believe that because the ego's uh, block against it is so strong. We do not wish to accept responsibility for our thoughts. So if we know that every single thought we have produces form at some level, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, etheric, it's producing some kind of effect in our life. And we walk around, as most people do, we're walking around all day. Most people are focused on they're not good enough. That is the general focus that most people have most of the time. Uh, and and I, I remember one of the books that I mentioned from time to time, you know, maybe we'll read this next year. It's such an easy read. It's just not a well-written book, but it's a powerful book. It's uh, Daniel Brinkley's Saved by the Light. Has anybody read that? I usually mention it. Lawrence has read it. Um, did you like it, Lawrence? Helpful or interesting? I didn't really like it. No, I, no, I didn't like it. Was but it, it was... Uh, yeah, was it informative? Yes. Yeah, and there was a movie uh, about his life. You know, I have to get a copy of that movie get a copy of that movie get a copy of that movie um i'm just gonna make a note here um uh, about him he was hit by lightning and killed several times and he always came back um uh he uh he came back to life it, so that's what the 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 first book he wrote several books the first book is about uh the first time he was hit by lightning and everything that his whole experience i, I think it's really really worth reading but it is not a well-written book it was ghost written and it, just by i don't know somebody who's not a particularly good writer and um um um, I was a literary, I was a literary minor, a literature minor in college. So I've probably got a higher standard than most about quality of writing. We'll see if we can get the movie though. Um, I'll watch the movie and, and then I, I, maybe I can put it up for us to watch. So anyway, um, what Daniel Brinkley, after he was hit by lightning the first time, one of the things that shifted for him was he could, he could feel, he could feel clairsentience, he could feel what everybody was thinking. He could feel, he could hear what other people were thinking, especially if he touched them. It was like he got a download of what their, they were focused on what they're thinking and I I spent some time with him 
a number of years ago and uh, we were kind of hanging out together on and off for a day or two, a weekend. And, um, and then I saw him a few times after that. And every time I saw him or I was with him, he would take both my hands and he would just keep doing this to them. And I knew it was just downloading everything, you know? And then, uh, and then one of the times he hugged me, he hugged me so long, I thought, I'm really not sure what's happening here anymore. <laughs> and he's six foot five and he's a, like a big bear. So, you know, and I'm five foot three. So he's 14 inches taller than me. And I, I am just, I'm waiting for the hug to be over and it's going on and on and on. And I realized he's just downloading everything about me and the people I know and stuff like that. Anyway, he said that the hardest thing for him, once he became that sensitive to what everybody was thinking and feeling, was that almost everyone he met was almost entirely nonstop focused on, I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. I'm bad. I'm unworthy. And he said it was extremely depressing to suddenly be constantly bombarded with what everybody's thinking. Um, so that's why the state of the world is the way it is, that we're not yet at the golden age of enlightenment. We're entering it. We're entering it. Uh, and this is why so many people are afraid of manifestation because they are not able to hold their mind entirely on loving thoughts. And so recognizing the power of our thought when we know that, like for me, when I was first introduced really strongly to this idea that all thought produces form at some level, because that's what Ernest Holmes teaches too. That's what the unity teachings are as well. Um, I didn't wish to, to think about that because there's no way, like Liz can remember that, um, you know, we would have conversations where we, we would say, we know it's wrong to gossip and say things about people, but we're going to do it anyway, right? Because, and so when we do that, when we don't have a, a willingness to hold ourselves accountable and or holding ourselves accountable and responsible feels like a burden rather than a liberation, uh, fearing manifestation makes sense. I Honestly, I think that almost every spiritual student any spiritual student who is still giving themselves permission to energize negativity uh, is afraid of manifestation because they're still energizing negativity. So for me, I'm still energizing negativity. I catch myself doing it all the time. However, I hold myself accountable. I'm willing to take responsibility and I'm intent on shifting that. So it's not that it's still not happening in my awareness, 
I'm actively taking that as that's the place where I'm working. I'm not, I'm not interested in blaming anyone else for how I feel. Although sometimes I think, Ugh, and then I, I go, yeah, it's up to me to change my mind about it. It has nothing to do with them. And then I'm back again really quick. And to me, that's my liberation. I know it's my liberation. I've proven to myself because I'm mostly peaceful now. Whereas I used to mostly feel in the past, I mostly felt irritated and aggravated. So to me, that's what the fear of manifestation is about. It's about taking total responsibility. There are no idle thoughts. All thought produces form at some level and thought and belief combined to a power that can literally move mountains. Deb. That's, you just put into words what happened for me in a lot of ways this week, this year. Because <clears throat> you talked about responsibility before, a few months ago, six months ago, I don't know when. And you probably in the other two years too, but I didn't hear it. Um, but something shifted for me with that this year. And I got that I wasn't taking responsibility around my house, everywhere, really, with my business, around my house, and my personal life, and I'm telling you, boom, once I did that, you know, the tree guy showed up, the helper showed up, the, this is, everything's so fast now, I'm kind of like, you know, I gotta, I want to control it, I want to slow it down, because, in fact, I was thinking before we got on, I thought, I think I'm going to call, here's what I was going to say to you. I don't know what you call yourself, but it's sort of like a global seer, S-E-E-R, because you kept saying, simplify, simplify, simplify. I heard it. I'm trying to do it. It's still not done, but I'm being slammed with why it would have been good to be done. And because I'm so busy and it's all good, busy, full clients, things I want to be happening, except it's not simple enough yet for it to just flow. That's what it feels like to me. So I don't know what my activation is going to be in 2018. I just wrote down seven listening to people talk possibilities you know so but this really is gelling things good i'm glad i'm grateful for that responsibility ability that emerged this year yeah it's our liberation it's our absolute liberation but until we have the spiritual maturity to realize that we have to take out a lot of trash before mm -hmm. we're willing to recognize it Mm -hmm. We have to be willing to be more accountable, to be more loving. And then we realize, oh, and, and practice it, you know, like I, I just started as part of my forgiveness practice long before I came to A Course in Miracles. I just started to realize, you know, I, I've done, I do things all the time that are unkind, malicious, controlling, manipulative, um, 
unconscious all the time. And I realized that with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, if they came to me and they said, you know, hey, this doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel good or I wish you, you know, what was that about? And I could just take a breath and say, oh, you're right. Thank you for pointing that out to me. That's helpful to me. And I'm, I'm sorry if that hurt your feelings or I'm sorry if that made life hard for you or, and, and to, as my own practice of self-forgiveness, not take on any, anybody's emotions or anything like that. I'm not responsible for how they feel or how they interpret it. That's on them. I can help them with it out of compassion, but I'm not going to take it on, but just it's my own practice of self-forgiveness, which I started really working with in the, late nineties where I realized when I was in the practitioner training with Liz, I realized, Oh, if I make a mistake, like I'm rude to somebody or I crash my car and I pause for a moment and I say, ah, tactical error. Tactical error. This was not the most effective way to do that. I, it would have been smarter if I turned left instead of right. Uh, it would have been more helpful if I had made the call earlier rather than later. It would have been more loving if I'd offered to help them instead of slamming the door in their face whatever it was. So I learned to say, ah, tactical error, I can see now there's a, there's a better way. And that's what I'm interested in. Next time, I'm going to do the better way. And I'm so glad I realized this. I'm learning from this. I'm taking it in. Thank you, God, for my opportunity to learn. There's nothing to forgive because I am not judging myself, not judging anyone else. I'm having a healing, and I am loving myself free. That became an important part of my spiritual practice. My practice, and I usually talk about this in year one. I talk about it in Finding Freedom. It's my practice of self-forgiveness is, oh, tactical error. You know, and tactical error can apply to telling somebody to F off and then going, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that, right? That's a tactical error. I I can claim it as a tactical error. I thought for a second, I thought that that would be a good strategy to protect me, to punish someone else. Oh, now I can see that's a tactical error. It's not going to get me anything that's useful. But I don't have to diminish myself or degrade myself or attack myself or berate myself because I made a tactical error. Just like if, you know, it happens to me all the time. I'm driving down the freeway and I get distracted and I miss my turn. It it happens all the time. And I don't yell at myself or I'm just like, oh, tactical error, moving around, going around. You know, or you you take the street and then the traffic's closed. Oh, tactical error. It's just, it's so helpful because there's no judgment in Oh, I made a tactical error. So um, 
that practice has really, really helped me, Elena. It's really, really helped me to realize I'm not bad. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm learning how to do life better. And that's my, my method of taking responsibility, too, for what I did. And, and having no forgiveness is needed because no judgment has occurred. And me practicing that diligently with myself, very, very diligently with myself, brought me peace. It brought me peace. So... Um, you know, uh, let's see if Angela replied to me about, because Linda's at the hospital with her husband. God bless them both. Um, I don't have an answer from Angela, but I would say um, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to ask Linda. She'll either be able to respond or she won't. And I'm going to pray this out, and then I'll check and see what um, with one of them, if one of them responds. All right. Any other questions before we close out? Sean. Got it. So I just wanted to let everybody know tomorrow's the day that I'm going to have surgery. So today I'm celebrating my thyroid, and tomorrow's going to be gone. So prayers are definitely welcomed, and I th I'm actually looking forward to um, this being over. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. What kind of a procedure is it? A full thyroidectomy or whatever. The full thyroid's being removed. Will you be staying overnight in the hospital? Just one night. Well, if it's any comfort to you, my daughter, my daughter, my my best friend Shan, her daughter had her thyroid out, and she's fine. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good stories. So, say goodbye <laughs> to the thyroid. Yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah, so we'll put that in our prayer right here and right now. Thank you. I appreciate it, and you guys have really helped me go through the process because it's been rather challenging for me. I know. And we'll hold you in prayer tomorrow too. And as you recover. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So we're truly grateful and truly thankful to recognize the pure love of God shining as our very being that we are one with God, one with the power and the presence the pure life of love is what we are leading. This is what I know. We are truly grateful and truly thankful to join together with the Holy Spirit and to call forth the Niagara Falls of blessings upon us all. So grateful and thankful to claim wholeness and harmony, physical healing in every cell, fiber, and function of the body temple. This is what I know and call forth for every single one of us. Calling forth for Sean that right where she is and for Linda and for Rudy where they are in the hospital. Calling forth for them 
that every person who attends, Sean and Rudy, everyone who attends these physical healing operations, they are the very love of God, touching, handling, thinking, participating in Sean's healing and Rudy's healing. We're grateful and thankful to call forth divine wisdom active in the minds of each one, that each one who touches Sean and Rudy is the very hand of God. Here and now we know this and affirm this. We're grateful and thankful to know that everyone involved and each one of us is in an active field of divine grace that's loving us, holding us, leading us, guiding us, nurturing us in every moment of every day. What I know for each and every one of us is that we go forth with more clarity, more peace, more love, and more joy, and we are truly grateful for this. In gratitude, we let go of that which does not serve. In gratitude, we expand into the healing, the clarity that we desire. In gratitude, we allow it to be. We know it's done. We share the benefits with all. We let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yeah. And Sean, you know, Archangel Michael's so helpful to cut any cords of fear if you feel any trepidation between now and then. Yeah. We love you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been very um not fearful, just a little a little anxiety, but um What time is the procedure? I won't know until 6:30 this evening. All right. Well, will you text me when you know and put it in the Facebook group? I certainly will. I'll put it in the third the Masterful Living 3. Okay, great. Thank you everyone. I'm ready. You know you are. So is your body. No choice. Thank you all. And no call tonight. No prayer call tonight. (laughs) Bye. Bye.